Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Uh, well, hey, happy Thanksgiving and a bl- early d- Merry Christmas. I don't know if you know, but we had like an elf come and just kind of make all this happen. You know, uh, I love what we do here at Covenant Church. We have like a bazillion trees like up here, and it's awesome. You know, it's, it's Christmas season. Um, and we are definitely looking forward to uh, jumping into the Christmas season, to be able to proclaim our Savior, Lord Jesus, celebrate His birth, and all the kind of good stuff with it. With it. But before we get there, today, this morning, we're going to close our series in the Reclaim series. So over the last five weeks, we've been going through Reclaim, this idea of reclaiming the light of Jesus in, in the world. And why is it that we might need to reclaim him? What are we reclaiming him from? What, have we, what are we coming out of that we might need to kind of reground ourselves in our identity in God and his calling in our life to love one another and to love the world. That's kind of where we're at in the series. And this morning, we're going to talk about reclaiming your witness, which is why, hopefully you didn't sit on this, but you saw that there are some light bulbs. Uh, and this light bulb has kind of traveled full circle from being on the board to now being in your seat. And we're going to talk about what do we do with this light that has been given to us. But before we get to that, I've got, I've got something I've got to share with you that is just astonishing to me. Now, you've probably played the game before, right? You've played like, what would I do if I won the lottery, right? Has everyone played? Just, is that just me? You've, you know, it's okay. I have definitely played in my mind. I've never actually won the lottery. But hey, if I were to win the Powerball, $100 million, what would I do with that money? You know, and I've got, you know, obviously my wish list, but and you always kind of like, but I would give a lot of it away, right? Because that makes you feel better about yourselves. I would give the majority of it away, but I would make sure I kind of paid off my debts and got that new car and all that kind of stuff, right? Now, let me tell you something that's astonishing, that within a 15-year span of time, 2002, 2017, there were five, five Powerball winners that did not claim their prize at all. They forfeited their prize. Tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that went unclaimed by people who won the lottery. And they didn't take it. They didn't claim it. Can you believe that? In fact, the lottery estimates that there are billions of dollars in unclaimed prizes because a lot of people who don't win the big one, they don't realize that there's all these secondary prizes that kind of come along with it. And so they just throw away their ticket, not claiming what is rightfully theirs. They have it and they don't go and they don't get it. Man, we have something. We have something. That's what John, as we've been looking at John, has, we've been talking about. We have something in Jesus that we have victory, that we've overcome, that we have eternal life. And yet, and yet, for honest with ourselves, I mean, the past year and a half, the past few years since COVID, since March of 2019, it feels like maybe we've lost it. We can believe maybe that we've lost it. Here's the reality. When things change, there is loss. When our world changes, when your circumstance changes, when there's change, there's always loss. This is why human beings resist change. Even if the change is good, we resist change because we're afraid of losing 
something, someone, what we hold near and dear to us. And the reality is, is that since 2019 of March, every single one of us has experienced change. Our world has changed. Our culture has changed. Our community here in Bowling Green and the Northwest Ohio area has changed. If you're on the college campus, the college campus has changed. You have changed. Every single one of you, you cannot go through a t- pandemic and not be changed. You have felt, you have felt and experienced in its own shades grief and sorrow through the season. And we do our best to distract ourselves. We do our best to make the most of it. We do our best to fight for a new normal, and yet there is loss. Covenant Church has changed. When we talk about reclaiming, what we're not saying is that we don't want to go back to the Covenant Church of 2019. We had a good thing going. I don't know if you were around back then, but we had a really good thing going. A good head of steam and momentum here as a church, fulfilling our mission, making him known, proclaiming him to our community. We had some good things going on. We had tons of new people always coming in, and we still do. And yet, and yet, a lot of that was kind of derailed because of COVID. Well, as Covenant, when we say reclaim, we're not saying we don't want to go back to what we're doing in 2019. Everything has changed. We now have to adapt. But what has not changed is Jesus. Jesus has not changed. His place in history has not changed. Your identity in him has not changed. And our call to love one another and to love the world has not changed. I like this Helen Keller quote. I think it's fitting. She says, all the world is full of suffering, but it's also full of overcoming. And in Christ, we have overcome. We have overcome. The verse before the passage that we're going to really take a look at this morning, John says this to the church. He says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus is the Son of God? That we have overcome in the eternal sense all things if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And it's from that place It's from that place that we then move out in confidence to live out our mission, to proclaim him to others, to proclaim the good news of light and life that has come through him. And so this morning, what we're going to take a look at is what John is going to do here at the end of the letter, again, as we've been kind of going through this letter, he is going to reaffirm to the church their confidence in the message that they've heard and the message that they've received. He's going to kind of reaffirm to them that what they believe is true because he knows, he knows if they can embrace that what they've come to believe is true, that it will empower them to then move out to live and to pray as God's kids, as God's children. So take a look at uh, with me here, uh, starting in verse six, John says this, he says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ not by the water alone, but by water in the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are these three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we've received the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, 
because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life, and whoever does not have the son does not have life. All right, so what is John saying here? Because I don't know about you, but that's a little bit obscure. The water, the blood, the spirit, these three testify to us. We know that these things are sure because of these three things. So let's kind of dig into this text here just a little bit and kind of unpack what is John communicating to the church, to us. Well, the water and the blood, he's not referring to baptism and communion as sacraments, okay? Those are maybe like a secondary application of this text. What John is trying to say to them is that they believe in something that has real substance, that is really true. Uh, We call them empty calories, right? It's calories that you eat that don't do anything really great for your body, right? I love empty calories. I've consumed lots of empty calories over this past weekend. Uh, I, I, you know, if you know me, I've got a very strong sweet tooth. I will eat any form of sugar that you will put in front of me, and I will be glad to kind of take it off of your hands if you're trying to get rid of those empty calories. You know, now here's the deal. Growing up, growing up, you know, in my adolescence, uh, I tried to fool myself into thinking that I could somehow transform empty calories into meaningful calories. So... You can eat cake, but you can also eat carrot cake. There's carrots in there. You can eat bread. You can eat zucchini bread, and that makes it healthier. You can have pie. You can also have cherry pie or strawberry pie. And to me, I'm like, man, I'm getting my fruits and my vegetables. I'm sure that there's got to be bread in it, and some sort of eggs are in there. I got my dairy. I'm like covering four of the five major food groups with some of these pies I would eat, right? But but if you're wise and smart, and I'm now, I'm now officially 40, I am now smart enough to realize that that is just empty calories, just repackaged in a different way, right? I've, I've come to understand the difference that the, the, the zucchini bread, the, uh, the carrot cake is not the same thing as a salad. The salad is fundamentally in substance. It's different. We know these things, right? But when it comes to life philosophies, oftentimes we don't understand the difference, When it comes to how to live our life, sometimes the things that we take in, the things that we begin to believe and we hear, we don't realize we're ingesting empty calories of life philosophies that are devoid of substance, that that aren't the real deal. Uh, Now that I'm in my 40s, although I've been doing this for a while, I like workout videos. I like working out my basement, all right? The 22-year-old me would totally judge the 40-year-old me, but I no longer go to the gym. I no, no longer do all the squatting and the deadlifts and all that kind of stuff. I watch Beachbody in my basement, and I do those workouts, and I get a nice little sweat. I go with my workout on, and I feel really good. Now, here's the thing with, like, watching, if you've watched any of these, like, uh, personal trainer Beachbody videos and stuff, is that it's not just sweating and burning calories, right? If you listen to them, it's not just sweating and burning calories. It's sweating and burning calories, and what they then try to do is take this workout and give you something that somehow pertains to the rest of your life. Sean T is one of my favorite trainers on Beachbody, but literally on his body, he has tattooed all over him his life philosophy, like conquer your mind, be transformed, dig deeper, like is tattooed like up his chest, 
and he's showing you his tattoos, and he's kind of saying, hey, if you can accomplish this 20-minute workout, man, you can do anything in your life. If you can overcome these 20 minutes, and you can do anything that you want. Uh, and there's one particular woman that I love, uh, Olivia, because Olivia cries at the end of the workouts, because she's so probably the, you know, whatever endorphins are, are happening in her body, she's feeling really good that she accomplished this workout, and she's having this, this spiritual moment, you could say, on this Beachbody workout. But in actuality, it's a workout, and it's hard, and you sweat, but in substance, that's what it is. But what do we do? We are always trying to find ways of marrying the material world and what happens here, and we're trying to make that thing somehow make sense as if it can transcend beyond what it is. A car is a car. It's not an identity. You know, what you wear are clothes on your body. It's not your identity. But we find all these different ways of trying to take what is material and try to make it more meaningful. What does John say here? Water and blood. He's saying that Jesus, Jesus is a real deal, meaning that Jesus came in space and time, and history, and stuff happened. And because stuff happened, it shows us in substance that he is who he is. He is the son of God. The water, Jesus' baptism. John says at the very beginning of his letter, hey, we came and we proclaimed to you what we saw. That's what he says at the very beginning of his letter. And what John is saying is that we were there at Jesus' baptism. Not just John, his fellow witnesses were there when Jesus was baptized, when he got physically into the water with John the Baptist, when he was submerged underwater, when the Father audibly spoke from the heavens, when the Spirit, who looked like a dove, descended down to Jesus. John is saying that there was this divine moment that, where the divine broke into our human reality and it affirmed that Jesus is more than just a man. He's more than Mahatma Gandhi. He's more than Mother Teresa. He's more than Martin Luther King Jr. He is more than just a good man, a good prophet, a good teacher. He is something more than that. He is the approved son of God. The time when the father himself spoke from the heavens, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That happened in real time and space in history. There's substance there. This is who he is. And then the blood when the Son of God hung on a cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, that we know that we're forgiven, not because we hope that God might forgive us, we hope that one day he might overlook all of our wrongs. No, there was this moment when his own son hung on the cross and bled and died, when he himself said it is finished, when the earth literally shook, when the sun was covered, and when the curtain torn to. This happened in history. And John said, we were there. We were witnesses to it. It happened really. And so what John is saying to the church, your belief is in something real. It's in someone real. And that's why you can have confidence. The substance is true. It's there. Well, he goes on to say that not only do we have the water and the blood, but we also have the spirit also as a testimony to the sonship of God. And this is where, within Christianity and the Christian worldview, we have objective evidence. Something happened in space, time, and history. And then there's a subjective element of belief. That you can't just like look at something and just because you can cross all the T's and dot all the I's, that means that I'm going to believe. I remember, you know, getting to share with one guy, uh, this is years ago, 
and we read through the scriptures, we read the books, we looked at the philosophical arguments, the scientific arguments, and he's like, you know, I think that Jesus is who he says he is in the scriptures, but I don't believe in him. Why? Because he was not compelled to follow. He was not compelled to give his life to the Son of God. Why? Because he wanted to live his own life. He wanted to do his own thing. He didn't want to subject himself to the Son of God. The Spirit must move. Jesus himself says in John 6 that no one can come to the Father unless the Father calls. That means that the Spirit must move within somebody, that this evidence, these things that happen are true, that it compels them to them follow, to place their belief and trust in Jesus. And this is a work that is not done by man. It is a work that is done by God himself through his Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit moves and compels someone. I think if, if you're a believer and a follower, I bet you could probably look at your own journey. And if you were to retrace your steps of why is it that I became a follower of Jesus, I bet there's some major question marks. Why did I do this? Why did I jump in? Why did I go all in? Why did I decide that this, this guy 2,000 years ago who it was proclaimed rose from the dead, why is it that all of a sudden I began to believe that that actually happened and that he was worth giving my life for? There are no explanations other than that the Spirit compelled you to follow him, that there's a spiritual movement. When it comes to uh, decision-making, you know, when it comes to decision-making, you know moving the needle isn't just about facts. That in, for an elephant to move, right, for an elephant to move, there must be an emotional kind of uh, initiation and, or ignition in order to, to get the elephant to begin to move down the trail. You can't just line it out and say, hey, here's a path, just go, right? Something's got to move it. You know, if you have kids, you do this all the time. You know, how can I entice my kids to do chores, right? If you're trying to convince someone of something, you try to have the emotional appeal, which is fine and good, as long as there's substance there. And what John says is, hey, there's substance, it's Christ, it happened in space and time and history, and then there's a spirit, and we pray, we pray, we pray fervently for those who don't know Jesus, for the spirit to move, because we know that the spirit must move in order for someone to come to faith in Christ. Well, what's the result? The result here, at the very end, he says, the testament that God has given us the result is that we have eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Then we talk about reclaiming the light and life. What we're saying is that we have true life. We have the life of God in us. It's the life of the age to come that we'll have fully when we get to see him face to face. This is the life that we get to share together. Michael Bird puts it this way. Perhaps a good summary of salvation is that life wins over death. A good summary of salvation is that life wins over death. That Jesus came, he gave his death, and now he gives us from his own life to us that we might be able to share. And we now have it. So the question is, what do we do with it? We have this eternal life. What do we do with it? When's the last time you got really excited about something? Like, when's the last time that maybe you started a new hobby, you kind of found a new recipe for that smoked brisket that you're so excited to try? When's the last time that maybe you, you add an addition onto your house or, you know, you kind of revamped your backyard and had that fire pit and that, you know, built-in, you know, outdoor barbecue uh, area and seating area, right? You installed that new pool. What did you do? 
The last time that you enjoyed something, loved something, were excited about something, you shared it with others. You had friends over on your back patio to try the new, you know, smoked brisket of that recipe that you just found on the internet to try out on your new smoker, right? You, this is what we do. There are lots of obnoxious people that have been posting their Michigan photos all over Facebook <laughs> since yesterday because they are beside themselves at how happy that they finally won, right? I mean, we as people, when we have victory, when we have something that we love and are excited about, we share it. We don't even think twice about it. This is what we do to be human and to find something you love. You share it with other people. You share it with other people. But over the past year and a half, two years, I think that we have been encouraged not to share the gift of life that we've received. Maybe not overtly, but certainly it has been around us to keep it to ourselves, to not rock the boat, to not cause more fights or more conflict. And so don't share this thing that you have. You know, do we imagine that this church that John was writing to, who also had the same testimony, the same life of God in them, that they had any less adversity to sharing the good news that they've received? You know, they were put up as human torches. They were hung on crosses. They were fed to lions. This was the early Christian church. Their homes were stripped from them. Their affluence stripped. Their positions and titles stripped of them. They were attacked. And while the way that we as a church have been attacked by our own world, the own dark world, might look different, we too have been attacked. And we retreat. They were discouraged. They were... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm searching for a different word. Um, they were distracted. That's what I was looking for. They too were distracted. John wrote because there was false teachers that came in to distract them, to divert them with false teaching. Hey, this Jesus-only stuff, man, that's a little intense. Maybe we want to find more of a middle ground where Jesus kind of has like the best of world philosophy with the best of like kind of biblical philosophy. And if we marry these, things, these two things together, it's like the same thing. And the church began to kind of drift away from the true testimony of Jesus, which John is trying to replace them back on top of. And we can do the same thing. As long as it's all about love and relationships, it's basically the same thing. That's what our world tells us. And as a church, we can buy into that. As long as I'm teaching some sort of philosophy that tells us to love one another, it's the same thing. Well, it's not really. If the substance isn't the same, it's not the same. We've been seduced. The early church was seduced. Yeah, you can follow Jesus. Yes, you can proclaim him. But hey, continue to practice a life like a pagan. Continue to live like a pagan is what they, how they were encouraged. And for us, we're encouraged to live as materialistic Westerners. Yeah, love Jesus, but also love your stuff. Also love media. Also love your image and your fame and the way that you look and the way that people receive you and if they approve of you. Love those things too. And all the while, while we're attacked, while we're uh, distracted, while we're seduced, we don't realize that we've retreated from the true testimony of Jesus that we've received that we are called to give to others, to share with other people. Giorgio came to Christ just a couple years ago. 
He was, uh, he's from Italy. Uh, he's an Italian exchange student. And uh, when I first met Giorgio, he was a humanist. You know, he believed in science, he said. You know, he didn't think that there was a God. Not that he was an atheist, but he just didn't think that there was a God or there was any evidence for a God. Well, we did the journey stuff. We talked about the stuff. We looked at philosophy. We looked at science. And we began to read the scriptures. The Spirit began to call Giorgio that there was a spiritual home for him that was beyond just his home here on earth. He began to look at this person, Jesus, and finally was like, yes, Jesus is the real deal, and I want to follow him. And Giorgio, his whole life transformed and began to follow Jesus. You know what he immediately did? He immediately began to share with his family who were not Christian. His mom, his dad, and his three sisters. They didn't know Christ. And Giorgio wasn't trained in evangelism. He didn't, wasn't trained on how to share and the best methods and the right questions to ask. He just began to tell them about the life that he had found in Jesus. And over time, as of right now, uh, both his parents have come to Christ and two of his three sisters have come to Christ and been baptized into the church. They're living in the church, serving the church, loving Jesus. And this past summer when Giorgio was married, his father got up to kind of give sort of the the encouraging talk over his son, who he's now releasing to be married to his bride. And he says to his son, Giorgio, he says, you did this to us. You did this. You came to know Jesus and you shared him with us. And now we all believe. That's, it's that. We get in so many arguments about the right way to share. I'm tired of those arguments. I'm tired. I am tired of hearing about how they're not doing it right and they're not doing it right. Who cares? We have the light. Let's go and let's share it. And let's stop worrying about if we're doing it right or if we're doing it wrong. Let's go and proclaim it. Each one of you is gifted by God in a different way. You have a different personality. And some of you, you know, you're going to be social media obnoxious. You won and you are going to blast every picture that you can on social media and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And you're going you're gonna to get yourself out there because God has made and designed you that way. And some of you are going to share by having someone in your home over a cup of coffee and talking like that. Some of you are going to share by going out and serving those who are in need. God has given you a personality. He's given you a message. And now we are to go and witness to the world. The true victor. Our world is looking for a hero. It's in here. He is here the true hero, the son of God. Well, let me just end by putting the lowest fruit in front of you as possible. You guys hopefully avoided sitting on one of these. <laughs> this is the same light that you took at the beginning of the series and you screwed it into the board. And when you did that, you said, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the light of the world. That's what you said when you did that. And now we've placed them in an invitation. This isn't the only place to hear the testimony here at Christmas time at Covenant, but man, Christmas is the best time to invite someone to church. In our culture today, in this age, it is the best time. And a genuine, a genuine invitation will go a long way. Hey neighbor, hey coworker, hey friend, hey estranged family member that I talk to twice a year, we would love for you to join us for Christmas sometime this season. Would you be willing to do that? And just see what God does with that. You've got an invitation. 
You can use the light bulb invitation. If not, it's got all the information on the back of when our Christmas Eve services are. And we'll do our best to continue to put before people a beautiful Jesus, the true Jesus who in substance is the real deal. He's the light of the world. He's the life of mankind. So would we all, would we all ground ourselves in the truth, be confident in the testimony that we've received, and go and share with others? Pray with me. God, if we just pause for a moment, Lord, and we remember that those who don't have your life, they have death. That is a reality. And whatever is happening on the outside and however our friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors look on the outside, on the inside, without your son, they do not have life. They have death. God, would you give us compassion, Lord? Would you give us, would you compel us through your spirit to go and invite and to share? Lord, we are harassed as a church. We are attacked. We are discouraged. We are seduced in all kinds of ways to quiet our voice, to not proclaim your good news. But God, we take great encouragement and confidence in you that we can extend genuine invitations this Christmas season and invite people to hear about the true testimony, your son, who is a life and light of mankind. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.